1947, someone planted a rose bush on the side of our old stone house. At that point, the yard around the building was used mostly for grazing by a small group of farm animals, a dairy cow, a few pigs, a small brood of chickens who pecked at the grass. The building itself was never really intended as a residence. It was a tavern along a mail route, established as the calendar flipped from 1802 to 1803. Large round stones were brought up from the creek bed, stacked by rough hands and mortared together to form the walls. Two rooms upstairs and one room downstairs, the first floor was kept warm by an angular fireplace that divided the space with a hearth on each side, one for warming up stews and cooking the other to keep the damp chill out of the Pennsylvania air. By the 1940s, several people had moved through that space, independent oyster salesmen, families, farmers. But at some point during the cool days of September, well before the first frost, that rose bush went into the soil with enough time to solidify its root structure. A tall white trellis was put in behind it, repainted and rebuilt over the years, but still there by the 1970s. When it blooms, the roses it produces are the reddest red. They almost vibrate against the bright green stems and purple-tinted thorns. Those thorns that were my introduction that not all plants are to be grabbed and brought close, even if you just want to smell them. In fact, you could smell these roses even before you saw them. The bush bloomed every year and always on my mother's birthday. When she died, my dad would take a single clipping, wrap the thorny stem in a damp cloth and drive it over to her grave where he would place it near the brass plaque with her name, even though the cemetery prefers that no one leaves anything. This year, it's up to me. And friends, I don't know how that's going to be, but I feel compelled to do it. And it is in this way that I remain close to my father and his memory, by doing things that he might have done. He doesn't visit me in visions or dreams or hauntings. He demonstrates his presence to me through actions. It's like two beams of light merging, one over the top of the other, making the remaining beam brighter, more focused. Honoring yourself, channeling truth, finding the light. We're talking about all these things and more in a beautiful and contemplative conversation this week as we take out our pruning shears and cut away a thorny branch that's covering the ancient portal that will lead us to the deep night. Into the deep Oh, friends, hello, it's me, Dale Seaver, and I'm so profoundly honored to be your host, guide, and guru for this next hour of regrets and revelations we call the Deep Night. We come to you tonight, as we always do, from the foul banks of the Gowanus. And it's summer, almost. <laughs> the Gowani is moving freely again. It never moves much, but you can sense it's got that summer glow about it, undulating in new directions, emitting its potency straight up and into our atmosphere, up into the puffy white clouds of the heavens above, and then probably getting trapped somewhere there, contributing to the overall warming of the planet. Has this been the Gowanus Canal's plot all along? Just puff so much bad stuff into the air that eventually the ice caps melt and the oceans rise and the Hudson River swells and Buttermilk Channel extends throughout Red Hook, lapping at the doorways of the bagel shops in South Slope until at one point the abandoned Gowanus rejoins the seas. Maybe it's a sly and cunning trench, that one. I'm also expanding, but that's mostly due to grief and an absolutely unyielding pandemic. I mean, I'm pretty ready for this to be over. How about you? One way I try to keep my spirits up and my free radicals down is by devouring scoop after scoop of AG1 from Athletic Greens. I was a fellow who was a little too into supplements. I would have to take the whole alphabet worth of vitamins just to feel like I could get out of my sleep slacks. But the other morning, my wife Galinda took her sturdy arm across the counter where I kept all my pill boxes and just did a big swoop. All the bottles fell right to the floor. I nearly spit out my morning oats and said, what's going on? And then she handed me a glass full of athletic greens. And I've not looked back. It's a small change in habit that has resulted in big benefits. One scoop of the stuff 
mixed with water, contains 75 minerals, vitamins, organic superfoods, and vital adaptogens that my body needs, and having all of that at once can result in improved functions across the board. I'm talking about focus and clarity, mood and memory. And if you don't want to lug all of this stuff around on your next spirit quest to Joshua Tree, don't worry. The travel packs are great and perfect for tucking into your knapsack. It means you have access to high-quality, environmentally-friendly supplements wherever you need them, whenever you need them. Right now, to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com emerging. Again, that's athleticgreens.com emerging to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Friends, the conversation we have for you today is so complete, so fulfilling to me, and so inspiring that I almost want to close up the old podcast shop and say, that's that. (laughs) What happens to you when you encounter an artist or a performer who just seems to be operating at the frequency that you hope to be? For me, I start crying almost right away. Waterworks. To have someone, a stranger really, speak to the person you are. Well, We talked about it plenty on this show. That moment when truth reveals itself. The moment when you are in exact harmony with another person. Now, maybe I'm guilty of putting too much on our guest today, Holland Andrews. (laughs) Maybe I'm just in an overly sensitive place in my life. But I have to think there's something to my response to their music. And you may have that for someone else. I imagine Billy Joel does it for someone. And her name is probably Cheryl. But the point is, the person who is Holland Andrews and the music they make and the performances they give, it really speaks to me on some, I don't know, cosmic level. I can't explain it much beyond that. Now, normally we include a song or track from an artist following the conversation, a part of the podcast. But this time, I feel like the best way to encounter Holland's music is with some space around it, when you can be open to what's about to happen. So seek that out for yourself. Their new EP is out everywhere. It's called Forgettings, and there are quite a few videos online of them performing and of their other music uh, experiences. I guess that's what's at the heart of it. Their music is an experience, and I had such a nice experience talking with them about everything that ties this show together, lost parents, creative inspiration, healing, and coming close to that truth. Well, we really get there. A little bit about Holland. Holland Andrews is an American vocalist, composer, and performance artist whose work focuses on the abstraction of operatic and extended technique voice to build soundscapes encompassing both catharsis and dissonance. Now, you may have encountered their work under their previous stage name, Like a Villain. In addition to their solo work, Andrews develops and performs soundscapes for dance, theater, and film, and their work tours nationally and internationally. They are on the rise, friends. Andrews has gained recognition from publications such as The Wire, The New York Times, Electronic Sound, Uncut Magazine, Le Monde, and BBC Radio. This was a special experience, and I'm so happy to share it with you now. This is my conversation with Holland Andrews. Holland Andrews, welcome to the deep night. (laughs) Hello, Dale Sieber. It's good to be here. (laughs) Oh, my. Well, I was so, I'm happy now, and I was so happy that you said yes to being on the show, because I'm so intrigued by what you're doing, and to be honest, deeply moved uh, by your work. So, uh, first of all, thank you. Oh, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Wow. Yes. Well, I had this experience, and it doesn't happen often, but I was watching a clip of yours from, I think it was Weirdo Night. Yeah. (laughs) With with our friend Jibs Cameron. Oh, we love Jibs forever. (laughs) Forever. (laughs) (laughs) From I knew her from when uh, uh, pouring coffee at the old uh, Mission uh, Street uh, coffee shop. Anyhow, (laughs) but I was watching you perform, and uh, I quite immediately broke into tears. Uh, I don't know if that's something that uh, you engineer, if that's the science uh, of the music, if that's a common response uh, to, to, to a performance of yours. But uh, maybe I'm just going through it. Uh, well, you definitely are going through it. And yes, um, I love you using the word engineered. I never really thought of it that way. But um, I would say that uh, uh, I have a very emotional architecture for how I approach writing music. And uh, I think just how I uh, approach 
living. Um, and it's not necessarily a conscious approach. It just it just is the way it is, you know, like how yes. you how you choose to um, to to have these podcasts in the way that you do. It's it's not really like a oh, I should do it logically. You just you just do it because it's just like it would it would hurt so much to not. Um, and the way that uh, that I just came to writing and performing, it just kind of turned out that way. So I'm glad that you had, I'm glad that you had feelings come out. That's so good. I love yeah. it. Yes. Well, uh, it's interesting that you also mentioned that is it, uh, both it's sort of the frequency you're set to, but also that it becomes a sort of practice. Uh, and that is in terms of just this podcast, I realized even just this week that, <laughs> that the act of doing this, uh, regardless of whatever happens to it, is important to me as a practice. And uh, maybe the closest thing I have to even a kind of spiritual or, or, or artistic practice. Oh, that's gorgeous. What are you, what are you learning from this practice that you have that's so, that's so unique to you? Yeah. Well, I, I, uh, I don't know that it's unique uh, to me, but I have gained a greater sense of empathy. Um, mm. I don't think I was lacking in that department before, but certainly talking to everyone over 300, 400 episodes, uh, hours spent uh, in another's company, um, and, and paying attention to their work uh, has been a, a real appreciation for different experiences, uh, for different points of view, uh, and for um, uh, the fact that there is some connectivity among everyone. And I'm always surprised by that a little bit, even if it's I know this person that you know, even if it's just that one thing. But in fact, we know maybe a few people. But um, yeah, I'd say I'd say that that's part of it. As I said, I'm still kind of getting a little bit of perspective on it uh, as such. So it, things may still reveal themselves to me. Yes, they will. Yes, they always <laughs> yeah. will. I love that. Yeah. But moving through the world with that kind of uh, frequency, intensity, um, it must also be a little exhausting. Do you have some kind of self-care that you do? Is there, a, is there a practice of that nature that is central to your being? Yes, there is. Thanks for asking. I've been thinking a lot about how the impact of my process does affect my life. It's um, very timely that you asked this. Um, and I've been really requiring building uh, a kind of self-care practice within my writing process um, because it is so intense. Uh, I, I realized this recently because I had um, I had a friend staying with me, and I was and I'm working on a new EP right now, um, and I was so. Um, immersed in the music and the content of what I was writing about was so heavy. Um, there was this lyric that kept on uh, repeating in my head because it kept on repeating in the song. And the lyric was, um, uh, someone I love has died and I will see them again and again and again and again and again, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, also layered with, um, and I want to see them again and again and again. So these sort of like uh, simultaneous um, uh, wants and then haves together um, was just swimming in my entire uh, <laughs> vibe. <laughs> and I was, uh, it was hard for me to function throughout the day. And I had a friend with me and I, and it wasn't until I realized what was going on that it was because I was in the process of writing that I was just, you know, I wasn't really able to be um, present with my surroundings and with being, you know, someone who had a guest in their home. Uh, so I, I think one, I identified that, okay, this is something that I will experience when I'm writing. I'm probably gonna be swimming in a whole sea of emotion. And another thing is, I don't really mind that. Um, it it it's gotten to a place now with my life where I found uh, a kind of harmonious balance with the emotional worlds that I just like to exist in, um, but not being afraid of them or taken away by them uh, because of a, a an amount of like trust and gratitude that I have for operating in that way. 
uh, and not having any judgment for it. So I think all of that, um, the, the lack of judgment for it is in and of itself uh, a kind of self-care apparatus, I guess. Um, so that is, I think, the most effective way that I can take care of myself is um, uh, removing the judgment that I have for certain ways that I operate. Uh, because what can what can happen is I can cultivate shame for no good reason, <laughs> you know. Sure. <laughs> you know, like 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 everybody does, um, and uh, you know the majority of the shame that I experience is pointless, you know. Like uh, <laughs> like I'm not. Uh, I think shame is shame is necessary when you've um, committed real harm against something or someone, and it's a it's a it's a part of how you uh it's a part of how you heal um but we don't always give ourselves permission to 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 see what's next after that um and i think the the part that comes next is uh integrating the the understanding of all the circumstances that led you to uh acting a certain way or, or feeling a certain way or doing something um and then uh being being ready enough to um to forgive yourself and all forgiveness is that i understand it and how i feel it is allowing yourself to uh integrate the information from all sides and that can best happen once you are complete in feeling your anger um so i sort of i need to just really be honest with myself when i'm done being angry um <laughs> which can take <laughs> depending on what it is it could take a long time um, sure yes yeah well, yeah it, yeah it sounds like what you're describing is really the artistic process and mm. really being uh and it comes across in your work too that uh you have a you're very close to the source mm. <laughs> whatever that source may be and yes it involves uh stepping aside from judgment uh moving away from um moving towards or moving away <laughs> from various emotions that uh, may pull on you to, to drag you under a little bit, or maybe you're comfortable being under for a bit because it's necessary to get back up. All of those things, it feels like you're very much right in there, and uh, it's no surprise to me that you would describe it uh, as such, and, and um, uh, that really does uh, come across through, through everything that you do, that the the power of all of those emotions and your ability to navigate through that um, is the is the work, mm. <laughs> and it is direct and, and it's very um, evocative and uh, powerful. Um, mm. As thank you, you move, thank you for saying all of that. I really appreciate that reflection. That yes, nice. yes. Well, as you move through the day, um, are you collecting things? I know you, that. I mean, the thing that you said, the, that phrase um, or that uh, pattern of of text that that came to you, mm. certainly that that. As you were saying it, I couldn't imagine saying that to myself over and mm. over and over again for a period of days. Uh, I think because of personal circumstance, um, mm. that would it's. It's so powerful to say it exactly as you mean it. <laughs> you know, mm. I miss you. Um, mm. To just stay in that place would, uh, perhaps it would be helpful, but it would be tough for me at the moment. So the question, <laughs> though, as you're moving through the day, are you collecting things, sonic scraps, uh, bits of text, uh, beats? Uh, is it like building up a little internal sound library uh, of references that you call forth? Uh, oh, God, it's like you already knew that and then just uh, <laughs> pretended like you didn't and asked, <laughs> and asked it a question. Yes, yesterday I was washing dishes and listening to uh, an 80s romance playlist. I was just really wanting to feel like I was like an 80s romantic movie while I was, you know, washing my dishes after dinner. And the water was running and uh the the level of the water was louder because i was closer to the water and then the sound of the the music playing from my computer was distant and for whatever reason the the way that these um sounds together like i couldn't hear the song anymore but i just heard this wash and my mind was filling in all of these other sounds like a whole other song that didn't exist that my brain was just putting together with like synths and like all these voices like emerging out of these synthesizers and i'm like this song is great and then like i turn off the water and it's 
you know, air supply. Um, <laughs> playing something, you know, rather, rather kind of one of the more minimal tracks. Um, all the time. I'm always making, um, uh, singing things into my phone. Um, uh, uh, singing to things that can, that I don't think can hear me with ears, but can hear me in other ways. Um, uh, all, all, all the time collecting. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That, uh, that experience you described, uh, I had something happen to me with the air conditioner that used to do that. And I would swear it was a radio playing. Yeah. Because in my mind I was hearing, and it would be different. Some nights it would be a country station. Some nights it would be, you know, air supply. But uh, literally and also. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, uh, but uh, it's, it's wild how the the brain can make things out of uh, out of nothing. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and do you ever do the thing where you may be standing close to a um, uh, machine of some kind, something emitting a buzz, and try to match that tone? Yes, I do yeah. that. I've I've done that so many times now to where I've developed that to be a part of my process. <laughs> oh, wow. Because it's so, it's just so easy for me to to want to sing when I'm around some sort of low hum to just start <laughs> harmonizing with it or to find a melody or just to do something, um, and it just feels so good. And I'm like, okay, well, like I'm constantly trying to find new ways that make me feel like I want to sing more for you know for when I'm especially when I'm recording. Um, so yeah, I love doing that, and now it's. Like it's inseparable from how I write. <laughs> <laughs> I find it to also be, you know, again, talking about practice, it's a good little thing to just check in uh, because it doesn't require anybody else. <laughs> it doesn't bother anybody else because mm -hmm. nobody can really hear you uh, mm -hmm. usually. And it's just a moment of, okay, let me take stock of the world around me and tune into the frequency of the world for a bit. It's a, it can be lovely, I guess, is what I'm saying. Mm, it can be lovely. Yeah. Yes. How do you actually call forth all of the things that you store, though? I mean, you have this. I will never remember the things that happen through the air conditioner. But if you uh, do, you because it seems when you're performing all the time, it's pulling from all of the resources. And uh, I don't know how much of that is improvisational or not. It it feels very in the moment. But how do you recall that kind of stuff? I mean, I can make an audio memo, and then I forget I made the audio memo. Totally. Yeah. I don't remember all the stuff. <laughs> I, I think the thing that's that's useful about having it as a practice is that you can you can engage with it as as um, as effectively as you want when you turn it on. So a lot of my performances, uh, you know, more more recently have been improvised, especially once I started to perform under my uh, under my name and not using a stage name anymore. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, a big, a big part of that is just due to like time and access and uh, to, to a space to, to write songs for performance um, uh, when I'm not, you know, already just writing songs for choreographers. But, uh, but luckily, you know, there's, there's, there are those beautiful moments that I'm just never going to remember again. And I've just come to accept that yeah, I'm okay with that. And if it's really, if it's really meant to come back around to me, then it will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a, probably a healthy way to move <laughs> <laughs> through it. Yeah, and whether or not that's true, I don't really care. It just, it is yes. just, it just feels better to operate that way. Sure. Yeah. Well, there is a moment. I think it's about eight minutes or so into the song. Uh, I love you so much. Please love yourself back. <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is great. It's beautiful. And it's it, there's eight minutes in or so, the tone shifts. And uh, it almost broke me. I mean, <laughs> it was uh, surprising. It was uh, a relief. It was a, a shift internally listening to it. Um, now that uh, feels, well, I don't know how much improvisation is in that. That feels very much like, okay, now. <laughs> and it was exactly mm. the perfect moment. Mm. Yeah. Um. Well, first of all, I'm so glad you listened to that. I've been um, uh, since twenty, since spring 2020, been making a lot more uh, like drone, ambient drone material, um, and and it started just just making it for myself. I mean, every single piece, like like I love you so much, please love yourself back, has always started as something that is just for me, um, and I have a very particular. Uh, landscape for what I need in order to to 
crew to feel tension and release. Um, and I don't think that that landscape is uh, it's very different from from anyone else's. So um, so that that was definitely like once I once I felt like I had hit my maximum for how the first eight minutes was, then I in that moment of writing it needed that release. Um, it was a sort. It was just kind of a just a part of the uh, the narrative of that uh, of that piece. So I'm glad that you. I'm glad. I'm I'm really happy that you brought that up. That feels really good. Thank you so much. Oh, I love yeah. that. Well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I've talked with some folks who describe their processes, and it's okay if you don't want to talk about the process, but uh, uh, that's valid too. And uh, I think we have though. But uh, <laughs> some people describe their process as being very additive, layers and layers and layers. Um, and like I said, some people don't want to talk about it at all. But uh, other people maybe build a thing and then take things away. Where do you feel like you sit on that scale? Yeah, I, I think I, I think I definitely do that when it comes to writing uh, with my uh, writing specifically on my computer, um, writing for performance and writing uh, on my computer, I feel are v uh, very different experiences for me. Um, I can go and maybe improvise somewhere and then record everything that I'm doing live with all my pedals and clarinet and voice and everything, and then take that material and kind of build a library that I then use uh, when I'm writing in Ableton. And then when I'm in Ableton, uh, it's definitely, it's definitely begins, it can begin as very additive where every single possible idea that I can think of in that moment that's coming up, I just put out till it's just sort of like a big old, just uh, gooey cocoon, it, you know, how inside <laughs> of the cocoon is just goo before it's a butterfly. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, it's, it's that. And then I, uh, and then I become overwhelmed. And then I think that what I want to make is never going to come out. And then, um, then I listen to it obsessively, maybe cry, maybe feel like a failure. Um, and then have a kind of revelation that I want to feel really, really good when I'm writing music. And then I'm very excited for the final way that this will come out um, and that it will be just completely satisfying in the best way that I want. And so I anchor that back as a source of um, uh, hope, that trust. And then, then I start to pull things away and then what I always wanted started to reveal itself. So it's, it's kind of, it's an intense process that I go through, but I don't think it's, it's the way that I, it's the way that I do it. <laughs> on, I don't know if I recommend it, but it's, it's just, it's just the, it's just the way that I do it. Yeah. Right. And finding that anchor though, uh, identifying that as uh, unmovable, as undeniable, mm. well, that is something, isn't it? I mean, it take it, it, to get there, it takes a, it takes a place of surrender. Yeah. To get there. So before, before I'm there, there's all, there's doubt, uh, uh, endless doubt, <laughs> sure. you know, and it can yeah. come in these phrases, but um, like phrases isn't just moments in, in my emotional world. Um, but then once I sort of have hit my, once I realize that that's not gonna be forever um, and that there's evidence that I found ways through this, there's lots of evidence that I found ways through that emotion, um, that's when I can surrender and then um, focus on the anchor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that discernment is really at the heart of it. Mm. That's the that's the um, uh, the, the real skill mm. <laughs> that builds. It seems to me um, mm. because you can recognize it, and then you know, go this way or that way. Mm. <laughs> right? It becomes identifiable and knowable to you. And I think any time we can find something <laughs> in our lives that is knowable. <laughs> <laughs> Even if we continue to question it, oh my gosh, that feels good. <laughs> mm, that's so true. Yeah. I love, I just want to say, I love your voice so much. Oh, thank you. You sound like a psychic that I used to see when I lived in Portland, Oregon. Yes. Her name was Jody Snyder. She was, <laughs> <laughs> she was always correct. If, if, if you live in Portland, I highly recommend her. I don't know if she's still working. Um, but you, but you, you both have, you have the, 
You just have the voice of a, a psychic woman in her 70s. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm going for. <laughs> 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 yes. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> forgive me as I blush, but that's a, a wonderful, comp <laughs> wonderful compliment. <laughs> <laughs> so, and uh, speaking of uh, sort of uh, mystic powers, you mentioned that you cast a spell onto the latest yeah. uh, EP, right? And uh, I, I assume that's true. And I love that. Yes. <laughs> yes, that is true. Thank you for loving that. Yeah, I was just ex experimenting with how much more I can weave intention into releases that I have. It also helps me just feel... Um, God, you know, when you, it's just, it's just so vulnerable to release music. Um, before the pandemic started, I would write all of my music for performance, tour it, you know, play shows, and then maybe like a year or two later, record it and then release an album. So I was already really comfortable, confident in all the music that I was making. I would get feedback from it because I'd be playing shows to, to people everywhere. And with this new way that I've been having to release music, it, it just feels so much more vulnerable because it's music that only I have really listened to and maybe a couple of friends if I'm getting feedback from them. So um, having that spell just allowed me to feel like, you know what, whatever opinions people have about any of this, um, the most important thing is that I just want people to experience something beautiful when they listen. And it doesn't have to be coming from the music that they're listening to, but at least that there is some energy cast around them where, uh, where just something really surprising and beautiful can um, find them when they're listening. It just yeah. feels good to, I don't know, have that there. I think we're going to put a spell into this uh, episode. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think we should do that. Yeah. Um, and uh, you mentioned the text that sometimes appears, and I don't know how much you consider that to be lyrics or not, but um, I noticed certainly in some of the, the performances, too, that phrases would emerge. Mm -hmm. um, and I wondered if uh, there was uh, a source that you identify for that, if they were, in fact, um, maybe there are specific, I don't know, poems or, or, or prose that you were pulling from. Um, and uh, uh, the second question along with that, the, the voice that emerges is so varied and um, emotional and rich, but it also seems like it has a foundation of real classical training. Is that, is that true? Um, is it, uh, was there some studying that you did to be able to uh, move your voice in the way that you do? Mm. Uh, the, the most foundational training that I received growing up was singing with my cousins and my family on my mom's side. Mm -hmm. I didn't go to school for music. Um, I barely graduated high school and then uh, tried to go to community college and I didn't really understand it because it was like, it was like high school, which I hated, uh, but it cost money. So I was like, this isn't for, this <laughs> what, isn't for me. What are we doing? I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. It, this doesn't track with where I'm at right now. Um, but when I, when I lived in Portland, I took voice lessons with uh, a, a voice teacher, Wolf Carr, because I was doing more uh, extended vocal work. Um, and dan and uh, not damaging my voice. I was hurting my voice in the sounds that I wanted to make, and I wanted to learn how to do them more safely. So I started taking lessons with Wolf, and um, I took lessons with him for a few months, and then also got some more kind of foundational um, uh, uh, and practical tips and tools to just make my voice be as um be as powerful as it can uh, and then also i did like musical theater summer camps when i was a kid um and did uh did band in high school so there was i was always immersed in around music um but my my way of practice came uh just through through performing all the time through singing all the time through um, through listening, through being inspired by other singers, uh, but the 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 foundation didn't come from 
edu- like a formal education. Yeah. Yeah. Seems like it would be uh, developed then, as a lot of comedians do, which is very much in touch with the audience and mm. informed by audience response. Um, so therefore, you kind of hone instincts and timing and all of that to um, a, a very real, real-time <laughs> emotional response, um, which is a, as great a training, I think, as anybody can have, really. Wow. I never... That's so... That hit real deep when you said that, Dale. That is, that is very true in terms of, yeah, the kind of training uh, spaces that I would be in was just feeling that, feeling that feedback from the audience. And I'm, and I'm I don't know if it's uh, obvious or not, but I'm very sensitive. <laughs> so I can, I can feel that, uh, feel that reaction um, very, very deeply. And God, I love, I love that that's, how comedians get to really sharpen their teeth is through that type of way of learning. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, not everybody gets there, but that, that's, yeah. the, that's the, that's the uh, cauldron in which you're, you're uh, operating in. Um, and the, I want to come back to maybe if there's some particular text that you refer to, but I'm right. curious, what was the... What was your character as a high school band member? Uh, quiet in the corner, uh, goofing off, um, fond of the uh, percussion <laughs> person playing the Ooh. xylophone, which Ooh. always seemed to be a very particular person that uh, took the xylophone in high school. But <laughs> All kinds of babes learning xylophone. It's great. Um, yeah. 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 In in high school, I, w- I had a few... You know, like like all of us, we were um, there were like multitudes within us that maybe we were too afraid to show, and so they would come out just in different ways. So for me, when I was with um, the other bandos, as we would call ourselves, um, I was really outgoing. Uh, I played tenor saxophone in marching band, um, so I think that gave me some sort of like social cushion. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I was very into being good at marching band, which, uh, what, whatever. I, I, re- I really liked it. That kind of like, that kind of discipline and order uh, with playing music just felt really satisfying to me. Um, so so in, in, yeah, in band, I always felt really outgoing and really excited and really wanting to be a leader in the ways that I could. And then also uh, just incredibly insecure and, um, you know, just in a in a whole kind of vortex of uh, of sadness and anxiety as well. Um, not to take away from the other the other moments of joy that I was experiencing, they would just um, the dials would just be turned up at different times. Right. Uh, right. But the tenor sax is a good instrument to hide behind too. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if you're yeah. feeling a little insecure. <laughs> yeah. Yes, absolutely. You yeah. know what's funny is um, one of my marching band instructors is uh his name is chris roundtree and chris roundtree uh i don't know if anybody here he he has this orchestra called wild up and it's in la he's in la and he ended up in uh just as this uh, really incredible leader of an orchestra doing um experimental music and then i you know i'm here doing all kinds of whatever stuff I'm doing. And then so it's, it's funny that me and my marching band instructor have, we have crossed paths in the art music world and then wow. just kind of reflected that, uh, just that time in that school um, together. <laughs> Super wild. That's Super so wild. nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Well, uh, and then just back to the text question, if there was something, yeah. even a genre that you draw from. Yeah. So with text, I find that I like to choose words that are very simple and that come to me very organically. Uh, and the way that I can find that text is, so this is my, so this is my process um, before I do an improvised show. I will find um, a book that I have with me and then flip through the pages and then find something that stands out to me, write it down, and then um, take parts of those words and then think about what I'm, try- what I'm inspired by with the words that I wrote down. If it made me think of something else and then whatever that else is, then I start to write about that thing. Um, uh, one author that I really love to, to use in this context is Alexis Pauline Gums. 
she has a very uh she, she's a uh she describes herself as a um god i'm, I'm maybe not going to say this fully right as a black as a queer black love evangelist she's incredible um so i use a lot of her text i have a i have this book on my phone um by a a, a christian contemplative um author i'm not i'm not christian but i really love the the book um it's called ocean of light and the author is martin laird so there's these just just really gorgeous little sections in that that i can grab a couple words from and then turn into something else yeah mm. wow and do you ever interrogate whatever force it is that leads you to those particular phrases yes i do <laughs> <laughs> um it's a yeah. thing isn't it it's 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 amazing because i i think maybe i operate in a similar fashion where i feel the vibrations of objects of texts of things that i'm drawn to and i accept it uh almost just as is that i have been delivered this from somewhere and <laughs> I, yes. I don't need to look for other things or research a hundred different books or I, I know that this is the thing because I, ha I have been brought to it. Yes. Yes. For, for the listeners, I am not, when Dale was talking, I was nodding my head enthusiastically. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Through when, when you were saying all of that. Yeah. Just the, the trust in that, it, that it will be delivered. Um, I have a very complex network of spiritual support that I engage with 24-7. Um, and yeah, they, they be out here making sure that, that, all the, uh, that I'll be inspired to look up the right thing at the right time to find the right words to say the most satisfying things. Yeah. 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 It's so important to cultivate that. Uh, what I kind of consider a spiritual board of directors and ah! uh, you know, <laughs> a council that I, I, I commune with and uh, confer with and uh, seek advice from. Um, yes. It's really important. It is um, really important. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, um, you know, all season long, uh, I've been asking my guests this question, which is, um, has there been something that you can identify of either a particular personal or professional loss that has changed you? And, and what did that change look like? So were you a different person on the other side of it? How do you reflect upon uh, who you became in that moment? Yes, I have several of these <laughs> in my life. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, which one? Which one? Uh, um, God, which one? God. Um, there was a, I think this one exists on the kind of more professional level where I did a streaming performance and it was for the second performance that I was doing for an artist residency program at a space called Issue Project Room. Sure, yeah, here yeah. in uh, Brooklyn. Yeah. Here in Brooklyn, yes. Yeah. Um, and a wonderful uh, supporter of alternative experimental uh, sound, uh, I would say. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, getting to do that residency was just life-changing and uh, I am, I am indebted to Zev Greenfield, um, the director of that um, organization for the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> but uh, this, so the, luckily the, the first program out of the three that I was able to do for the residency, I was able to do in front of a live audience, kind of unaffected by COVID. It was February 29th. It was unaffected because it wasn't really in people's consciousness as much. I mean, there was maybe a kind of uh, general awareness, um, maybe some paranoia, but you know, not like anything what we thought it would be. Uh, so I was able to do that entire program um, uh, without a hitch. Second one happened after everything changed for everybody everywhere. And it was a live stream performance and it was probably the worst feeling performance I'd ever done. Um, mm. If I really want to look through the archive, there could have been a worse one. But for for what I can don't, recall, don't, don't look through the archive. <laughs> yeah, it's not worth it. Thank you. No, no, you don't thank, need to. Thank you. I thank you for that permission. Um, mm -hmm. uh, it, it, yeah, it, it just felt like I was performing into a black hole. Um, 
and uh which actually now that i say it out loud that could be pretty cool but it um it yeah it i did it was it was it just felt really empty um that sort of that feedback that i would get that you that you talked about where you're just um that was how i was able to learn uh was completely absent and there were technical difficulties and so it was just a disaster but from that it inspired me to just find any other way to perform for people. And I was talking to Zev, the director of Issue on the phone, and I was like, if I just need to call somebody to sing to them, I'll do that because I can't do this again. I just need, I just need to feel like somebody's there. And so I created this way of performing where um, I literally do call people and sing to them. And it's a piece called There You Are. And I, uh, for 10 minutes, text with uh, the participant and just kind of share with them a guided uh, guided meditation or just prompts to help them relax and to get into their body. It's, it's very gentle. And then, um, then after that 10 minutes, um, uh, I call them and sing to them, but they're listening to a track that I had sent them the day before uh, that they play when I call them. Um, and the track itself doesn't have any sort of discernible rhythm. So if we're off sync, it's fine. Um, so they're listening to that from their laptop computers or Bluetooth speakers or wherever, and then uh, holding the phone up to their ear and I'm singing to them. And that, that part lasts about 10 minutes and then it's over. So I think that was a pretty major, um, uh, a major shift in that I just advocate for what my needs are uh hmm. for how i want how i want to feel when i perform and that was that was pretty transformational for me right um yeah yeah right. well that's it sounds like a beautiful project number one that uh, uh just amazing Thank um, you. and uh the fact again that you could know what is knowable and undeniable in yourself uh, is is still part of that evolution as an artist and uh, how wonderful to be able to, uh, as you said, assert and advocate <laughs> for what is true and uh, that anchor within you. Um, mm. That's really great. Um, Thank you. Well, uh, you know, with the pandemic, everything else, uh, we're in the second, third, 400th year of overwhelming, uh, <laughs> unyielding loss. Uh, I think we're all registering a change and we're all finding things that are more um, undeniable within ourselves. Maybe some of us have more empathy, all of those things. Um, I, for me, emotions are very much on the surface. But I wonder what, um, uh, and on the surface, like, um, uh, like a two full cup of tea is how mm. I would describe it. just barely holding on with the slightest mm. uh, uh, break in surface tension I can uh, be emptied out uh, and that certainly happens when I was listening uh, to, to your music but um, wh what role do you feel like loss has in your work if any oh major I love this question um, god um yes loss is my best friend it is uh it's my favorite thing um so um so much of what i attribute to um being where i am now comes from loss um uh god where do i begin um Yes. Um, for, I mean, for, for starters, um, my, my, I lost my mother when I was 16. She died by suicide. So, or, or I like to say that she went voluntarily. Yeah, and, yes. um, and then uh, from, from there, there was this, another kind of major transition that happened soon after, which was um, uh, becoming sober. Uh, I did that at a very young age uh, because of, you know, the chaos that um, not being sober was creating for me. So, so that in a way is a kind of, it's another, it's a loss of, um, it's a loss of that version of myself. Uh, but I love loss so much because it, it kind of comes back to this, like this thing of surrendering. Um, and I trust that when I am in a place of surrender, you know, the thing that I'm surrendering to has my, um, my heart's intentions in mind. Uh, 
And I just and I just believe that to the the deepest parts of my being because the the evidence has only been that every time I surrender something that mm. is causing my life to cause me so much pain. Um uh to the point now where uh I just look at loss like um sort of like that like a cup let's talk, uh, kind of feel into this cup again that that lot like whatever whatever the whatever is emptied from the cup um if i hand the cup to someone that i love and i trust they will fill it with something that i love and i trust um because what will come what will come after the loss is just a a greater deeper um uh access to love i think that's what um loss has taught me and being being in that just makes me uh uh having a deeper closer availability and access to love makes me feel happier it makes my life feel better uh it makes my relationships easier um it makes me enjoy the art that i make uh more um yeah i i i owe so much to loss <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah well i think that's uh, beautifully expressed and um and perhaps why i responded the way that i did as i said almost immediately in in seeing you perform and listening um because it has been central to my mm. entire adult life and i remember even be sensitive to it as a kid too but uh my mother died quite uh, when i was 20 but still you know it's around that zone young. where yeah. you're still evolving and uh father was uh similarly uh suicidal and mm. uh, uh i didn't really find that out until later but um something to to process <laughs> Of course. And then when when yeah. he did pass, uh, now it's like okay, these these two have gone, and yet I thought I had done so much work <laughs> over twenty some years of really processing loss and even doing shows about that constantly in a sense or um, inventing places to go that may resemble wearing a turtleneck. Um, that <laughs> that, uh, that um, I felt very complete in my relationship to it until recently yeah. and so it's kind of broken everything open again for me um but what you just said i'm going to take with me and continue to reflect on and i think that speaks to my next question which is the role of healing um and and how much you foreground that uh, within your your practice really yeah um well again i'm sorry to hear about your father um and I think about, uh, I'll, I'll answer that. I think about my, my dad is still alive. And I think there's something with people that grew up having lost a parent on the younger side of their life, where in, in our lives, we talk about that, that, that this is something that we experienced and we think we know it so, so kind of completely. Um, and you sharing that about your dad had me realize, oh, okay, there, there will always be more. There will always be more to see, to feel within it. Um, and it will be hard. Uh, and I will cry, and that's fine. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so the, thanks. The knowable anchors. That, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So thanks for sharing all that. What was your question? I'm sorry. I, I believe I think it was about healing and healing. How, how much you foreground that in your practice. Um, yeah, um, I I foreground it because I yeah it's I can't not I can't not. It seems impossible to not. I don't know why. I've thought about why. I don't know. Right now, I I don't know why it's so important to me. Um, it feels like breathing, and I yeah. don't know why. But I love it. I love it so much. And I'm grateful that I love to operate that way. And yeah, I don't know why, but it's, it's, it's the most important thing for me. Um, 
uh, I was trying to uh, envision my final form uh, <laughs> as if I were like a boss in Dragon Ball Z, like yeah. my final form. Um, <laughs> I, I am just, um, I just want my, my, um, my entire, my, the, the fabric of my existence just to be a channel of love for every single thing around me and for me to glow oscillating turquoise opalescent iridescent colors and to scream and cry and tell everybody i love you so much hurt yourself less i love you so much just perpetually forever and then uh people may not people would know that i exist or they don't and that's fine but if in some way they just feel like their heart expand a little bit and I had, and if I had anything to do with that, that is the most important thing to me. I don't know why. It just is. Uh, it just is. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> it doesn't need a why. <laughs> I mean, uh, my, my goodness. Um, yeah, to, 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 to even set that out as a goal to move uh, toward. Uh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, uh, that, that's as complete, I think, as our, our role can be. Yes. Um, and especially because it's open. And mm. you, it's that uh, you, you remain in a receiving mode. As much as you're also giving out there, but that healing leaves you open to others' experiences and for them to seek you out as well and to establish that loop that we were talking about before, even as you, which is so essential to who you are as a mm -hmm. performer and as a person. So it does not surprise me that it would be uh, such a such a final uh, and, and let's uh, final feels weird. <laughs> So, <laughs> if we're remaining open, let it be a right. a, a stage or a stage. something that's that is in the future. Yes, but, thank you um, for saying that. Yes, that's very yeah, important. Yeah, yeah, a stage. Because there's so much. I mean, I, I uh, <laughs> we started talking about how I would uh, kind of break into a, an emotional space, and I feel right there again, uh, uh, Holland. Uh, it's. <laughs> Uh, I I'm so grateful for this time with you. I I, I almost can't express it. <laughs> but I'm so appreciative of, of everything that you've given uh, to to me to the listener uh, this uh, uh, afternoon. Uh, just really been wonderful. And to to me, um, the future is with you, <laughs> and hmm. what you're doing is where I hope more people uh, get to, where they, where they can follow along, even if it's just tuning into what you're doing uh, and to being aware of your frequency as a model of being in the world. Uh, I, I know we've just met, but I think the world of you. So <laughs> mm. I, shall, I shall remain a supporter as, as you move forward. Um, mm. Thank you. All That's the... so beautiful. Thank you so much, Dale, well, really. Well, thank you. And... Uh, uh, not to uh, shift into just promotion, but, <laughs> <laughs> but if people do want to seek out what you're doing, how does one do that? Yeah. Uh, so I just released a new EP. It's called Forgettings. And um, what's fun about that EP is that there's a special edition vinyl where the EP that I released before that is on one side and the new one is on the other side oh. and so that just that just came out on my label um called uh Leita. it's uh they're in berlin um uh you can go to my website hollandyadrews.com or i'm on the instagram i'm on twitter tweeting uh, nonsense um <laughs> and making up stories about times that i met arville Pert. Uh, I never did, not, not in this body, not in this life, but we hang out in the astral realm and he tells me crazy stuff. Um, it's good. Yeah. It's good to have imaginary friends. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, def uh, all on the socials, just Holland Andrews, you can find me. Yeah. That's great. Well, I hope they do. And I wish you nothing but success. Um, and uh, thank you so much uh, for being here. Thank you so much for this time, Dale. Truly. Thank you. All right. I mean, <laughs> I can pack it in, right? 
I really feel like we covered it all and, and got what we came here to do. My endless thanks to Holland for their time and openness. Get the EP. Seek out their music if it speaks to you or find something that does. Creative works have immense power to heal and soothe and provoke. It's good to be in touch with that which moves you. I thank you for your time today, friends. This has been a real one, and living is lost, but also happiness and joy. Don't lose sight of that. And remember, even though this night is ending, a bright new day is just ahead. Deep Night with Dale is independently produced, written, and performed by James Bewley. Season 14 artwork by M.K. Cummins. Season 14 theme features lyrics and vocals by Kylie Lotz, music by Austin Lotz, and mixing by Zach Robbins. It's never too late to give Dale a positive review while hitting subscribe on Apple Podcasts. But you can also tune in to Dale's Frequency on Stitcher, Podchaser, SoundCloud, and Spotify, wherever you are. Dale's right there with you. To get in touch with mindfulness tips, positive reinforcement, or just to say hello, email Dale directly at daleradio at gmail.com. Be sure to follow him on Instagram by looking up at Dale Seaver. From our being to yours, thank you for visiting the deep night.